All right, I'm holding the microphone very close for optimum audio quality. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this Madre podcast number three. Before we get started, three quick ways that you can support our efforts here at this Madre. Number one, FanDuel. FanDuel is a weekly fantasy sports league. What is going on outside? That's like a garbage truck. God damn it. All right, FanDuel. FanDuel.com. Go start an account. Put $10 in. Use promo code DESMADRE. And we'll send you a free t-shirt. Weekly Fantasy Sport League. It's a lot of fun. You can even join our own little contest. And uh, talk shit with us about sports. Football, basketball, baseball, whatever you're into. Second way to support is go buy a t-shirt or a hat or some stickers or something Desmadre related. Go to desmadre.com forward slash store. We actually have a lot of stuff on sale right now, so check it out. And the third way, Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash desmadre. We'll give you insider access to our studio here. And you get some really cool... Now, what's this? This sounds like a tractor. Patreon.com, people. Chip in. Maybe eventually we'll get a better studio. I don't know. Maybe. The third... No, the fourth way you can support is just share this. Tell all your friends about us. Please do that. That goes a very long way to helping us grow this madre. So without further ado, episode number three of the This Madre podcast features Marco Castro-Borges, who is a filmmaker and queer activist. Originally from Sinaloa, Mexico, and been in the Bay Area and L.A. He's been to the White House. He's met Obama. He's doing amazing work in this space. Check it out. This is a really interesting, fun one. Motherfucking truck. All right, let's get started. Do you say something? Buenas tardes, señoras y señores. All right, we're back for another podcast. Uh, Desmadrosos, friends, family. Uh, here we are at the Desmadre Garage. Uh, this week's guest is somebody very special, somebody who I have worked with on a film project and who happened to be in town because that project is screening at uh, some festivals and some local organizations this weekend. Um, but let me introduce him. Um, this is Marco Castro. I, I, I always, I'm not sure how to say Bojorquez. 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 Yeah. Marco Castro Bojorquez, who is a, a filmmaker and he is a community activist and um, he is a native of Culiacán, right? Sí, sí, I was born in Culiacán, uh, pero vivimos casi siempre en Guamuchil. 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 ¿Dónde está esa fuerza? That's where Pedro Infante was born, actually. Pedro Infante. Yeah, uh, he had a wood shop in the back of my aunt's house. A boot shop? A wood shop. Wood shop. Una okay. carpintería, porque él era carpintero. Okay, okay. Entonces, ahí tenía una carpintería. Wow. So he used to be a carpenter? Yeah. Pedro Infante used to be a carpenter. Just like Jesus. <laughs> did you did you have to bring him up? Or her up? Um, sí, Jesús. All right. Yes, yes. So um, today's conversation is, is going to be, I think, very multifaceted because uh, Marco is extremely multifaceted. And uh, the activism work he does is within the uh, queer community, the transgender community, uh, also very specifically having to do with HIV issues, and then even more specifically with uh, immigrants 
and all of those issues intertwined with the immigrant community, which um, is a very, very complex world that he lives in. And how long have you been doing this sort of work? Actually, let, let's, let's start even further back. <laughs> okay. So you're from, you're from Sinaloa, and when did you first come to the U.S.? I came to the U.S. in 1994, I think, um, after I finished college and, and I travel uh, in Mexico, we say Pueblear, Puebleando for about uh, almost two years, and I've been in Sihuatanejo, Siwa, and in Guerrero, beautiful, beautiful little town where I, yeah, I was there for about, uh, uh, about a year and a little bit, and it was from there that I came. You were just chilling. I was, I was, yeah, I was, I was uh, running away from from something that happened to me, and I was trying to make make sense of it, and uh, and uh, yeah, I was I was uh, a fugitive, <laughs> so to speak, uh, and yeah. And what was the, what prompted you to come to the U.S. and where did you come initially? Did you come to San Francisco or where did where was the first place you lived? What From all places, I landed in Oakland one evening, very late in December, and I live in Orinda. Orinda is this little tiny town of rich white people outside uh, after the the tunnel um, in the in the um, the East Coast. East Coast, no, the East Bay. Bay. Yeah. yeah, the East Bay. So I live in Orinda for about a year. What, why I, Orinda? Did you because, know somebody? Or? Because I met people in Sihuatanejo that invited me to, to live with them. Elda Marie and Don Poston. These are an old couple that used to have a, an appliance store in Oakland. Refrigeradores, lavadoras. And they were lovely people that I met for over several months and they knew of my situation in Mexico. Because I used to work after work. I used to work in a hotel. But after work, I used to work in this Bar La Paloma. It was a tiny little bar next to a restaurant, La Paloma. And there was, it was a queer, a queer eclectic, you know, um, artist, um, sort of like uh, customers. And um, I remember that I used to do, I used to bartend there, although I didn't know how to make drinks, but I knew how to talk to people. and. It was really beautiful. I um, I met them there, and they invited me to Orinda, and and I came. To, I lived in Orinda for a year, and then I moved to San Francisco. Mm. So did you initially just kind of come on a tourist visa, and or what was the? No, I crossed the border, um, in over Laredo. I tried to get my 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 passport and a visa. But as you know, um, the U.S. doesn't give many, many visas and charge a ton of money. And if you're not set up and show them that you are, you know, somebody that is not the typical Mexican, which is a wealthy people, then they don't give you a visa. So I said, fuck you. And after, after trying, right? I try, I try, I try. And it was very frustrating. And so one time a friend of mine in Monterey, because I was, I went back to Monterey to try to get mm, my, my papers in order. Um, he said, well, you know, I take my sister to school every day through the border. And so you guys, you can come with me. So I did that. I walk 
I remember so well. It was like nerve wracking. But um, we walked through this little arroyo. How do you say arroyo? Yeah, creek. Um, creek. Um, didn't even took my shoes myself. He um, took his shoes and like um, se levantó los pantalones un poco. And we just crossed and we hid a little bit under some bushes because he said that that the migra was coming and I don't really see any migra. And then we just walk literally like cross the street and there was my friend's apartment in the other side of Laredo. Um, and I remember that we ordered pizza and we talk and the next day... Where did you go get pizza? Oh, we ordered it. American style, you know. <laughs> So the first thing you did when you were in the U.S. was you ordered some pizza. <laughs> yeah. and, and we chatted about the experience. And, and then I, the next day I took a plane and I came to California. Shit. I was undocumented for, for over five years. Okay. And, um, you know, I can, I can talk about it now, but I don't think that you realize when you're like this young person that had this plan this path in my life and and everything went wrong because of violence it just took you off your pathway and uh for many people it's very e it's very difficult to go back into a pathway of where you feel self-worth and for me um i don't know m you know the death of my mom brought me back to that and and that was um 2001 so, so you, you were saying you were escaping like an incident back then. It was just kind of a personal thing or was it something like a violent incident or is it something to do with, you know, um, maybe you coming out in Mexico or what was? Well, I never came out in Mexico. It was a hard thing for us. To, I was uh, studying medicine and then I studied communications and I was in my last almost finishing communications when in Monterey, I had a very good friend. And we both knew that we were gay at the time, but we didn't know how to handle that. We probably were even in love with each other, but we didn't know how to express that. And he's still my good friend. I love him very much. And um, I saw him recently in Mexico City. And so I, I, um, what, what happened to me is that basically, um, you know, I've never talked about this, Jesus, let alone in camera. Uh, there were gay discos in Monterey, and uh, and one evening we didn't really have the courage to go in because you were afraid to find your teacher or your father or your uncle. Yeah. Mm, so we never went in, hmm. and uh, but we will go outside. I just gotta hang out closer to that. So ridiculous, like if I think about it now. Because it was in, a, in El Mercado Juarez, in Monterey. And one evening, I was there, and the police... Basically, the police came, took me into a car, into a Granadera, they call it, in Monterey. And it was, a, you know, a, an intimidation game. And, and it ended up really violently for me. And... Um, really difficult very difficult because you don't really understand what really is happening and um, and it, it took me about about a week to 
to come back to some kind of sense and um and I left and I left and I never came back yeah. and I just left I didn't know I was very poor I was very young and, and, and if I was a little not clear about who I was in regards to my sexual orientation or my gender identity or my sexuality I was even more confused after that yeah I couldn't really see myself in the mirror uh, I could see my face I could see part of my uh, torso I could see my I couldn't see myself in the mirror for the longest time hmm. Hmm. and this is just like a totally random basically yeah I mean it's, they selected you because you were it happened because you were there outside of this because place. they perceive yeah. that, that I was queer and like you know um like myself a, a lot of people are killed yeah. you know even now the people are killed in their countries like russia where it's really really difficult yeah and dangerous to be who you are yeah um for me obviously i i i, I think that what i do now has a lot to do with that incident but I, I never really talk about it. Um, and until this morning, I, you just told me that you were going to ask me these things. So I, um, I think that there is something that is in me that perhaps wants to contribute for that not to take place. Yeah. Mm, because I've never been lost. Like it was, uh, yeah, you lose everything. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that it's certainly um, this sort of situation that you can't, you can't even, I'm guessing you can't even, you felt like you couldn't talk about it with anybody. You certainly can't report it to anybody because the perpetrator is supposedly the person that's supposed to help you. Yeah. Um, no, I didn't talk with anybody actually. And one day I was in, in San Francisco and... Um, a friend of mine who was an attorney, an immigration attorney at the time, um, asked me if I could volunteer to go and translate. And I translated something about an, an asylum case. And I realized that I was something similar to that. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask because it's, it seems like that. Um, I've heard of that being a case made for asylum for people who, you know, um, enter illegally and that is one of the the things and uh, do you know how common that is now or is it, it not that it's easy but um, it's it would seem to be like a hard thing to prove it was very difficult it has always been very difficult if you come from Mexico yeah because uh, the volume of the people that come from Mexico yeah so you know your um, justice becomes thinner which is kind of pathetic, but it is true. Um, anyways, even is more is more difficult for transgender people. You know, I was gonna say this is this is gonna sound funny because the way it was told to me was kind of as a joke, and it's, it's kind of funny. But I know this guy who um, was a border patrol agent, and um, part of his day to day work was he was driving the four wheelers on the border, mm -hmm. and uh, this is in San Diego tijuana region and he he told me that they had a term and it was the mtv have you ever heard this he said the mtv was a mexican transvestite 
and he says this would happen relatively often enough that they had this term and he says yeah like I had to radio in I picked up an MTV and he's like immediately they tell you you know I want asylum because of being persecuted or whatever but this is like kind of a joke within the border uh, right. you know within the migra basically like these guys are like oh I picked up another fucking MTV today and I you know I had to put her on my wheeler my four wheeler and bring her back hmm. but you know he had said that this is so common that they have a thing for that and I was like, wow, like, that's fucking crazy. But the, 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 what is crazy is that, A, a transvestite is not a transgender person. A transvestite yeah. is somebody that is choosing a gender presentation. Sure. And that person may be straight, gay. That person mm, is a cisgender person. Yeah. Mm, a transgender person is someone that has a deep feel sense of Something that is not perhaps this binary thing that we have created, that is either you are male or female, you like pink and you like blue, you know, all of these really extreme ways of being human that forgets. And, and the complete idea of gender is that people use the word fluidity because when you think of gender, I don't think about this line, you know? I think about something that is, that is like, mm, mm, that, that doesn't have the extremes because in reality we have, we humans haven't really explored our gender. Mm, the people that are the most oppressed, those who are women, and the people that are so courageous, like transgender people, to like fight to all these injustices so they can be who they are. Um, those are the people that I consider my heroes. And transgender people, in regards to, to asylum, um, the first transgender person that was given an asylum, um, they w and I'm going to forget the technicalities of law because um, I don't like it, <laughs> but um, I remember that this person that was given an asylum because um, because he claimed that it was unsafe to be in his country, um, they gave him an asylum in the Ninth Circuit in San Francisco, and it, it was um, it's hard to explain, right? Basically, they didn't the the the, the court did not acknowledge that this person was a transgender. They acknowledged that it was a gay man that was dressing or that was expressing yeah. themselves in the opposite gender. Yeah. It took many years for this case to actually be resolved. Yeah. Um, but before, the, in the category that you could claim that you could be persecuted, transgender people could not just say, I'm a transgender person, and therefore, um, and and the reality too, Jesus, is that these folks are not joking. I mean, transgender people are courageous because they can fake who they are, mm -hmm. and the, the 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 society actually see it, and they don't want to acknowledge. They don't want to accept the realities. Us, we see things that are there in front of us, and we question. Also, oh, is it were you born like this, or were you, or or you were? You, you, you make yourself like this. I'm like, who cares? I'm here. Like, what else do you need? What proof, scientific proof, or whatever the fuck you need to acknowledge that I'm a person that I happen to say 
who I am because I mean who will lie yeah. to you about something that that has to do with gender who will want to do that and and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and why do we like isn't that crazy it's crazy but but it, but but, uh, but it, what comes to my mind um, certainly for what would be considered like the first legal case that had to deal with this issue is that um, I would I would think that perhaps um, laws just laws are antiquated they're so old and they're so they are black and white and because of that it is incredibly difficult to maybe resolve some of these issues which are similar probably to issues of mental health or HIV well, that would maybe cut that maybe cut and dry because you could take a test. No, no, no. Actually, HIV laws are actually so outdated. Right, but but I'm saying like in terms of proving, um, like you're saying, the guy who uh, received status uh, or received uh, asylum, they had to say because he's gay. I guess you can't really prove it gay either, so it's the same fucking thing. It's about. Mm, I think that. Well, no, the person that was given the asylum was a transgender woman. Okay, and and the the law recognized him as a gay man that dresses with that dre that, that 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 dresses yeah. Okay. It took forever for them to actually acknowledge that yeah. she is a transgender woman. Yeah. And she's a woman, and the asylum was given to her because what she originally said, which is she's persecuted in her country because of who she is. Yeah. But she had to take that crap. For many years, where they gave the court gave him this category that it wasn't her, mm, but the law, um, yeah, there is I ignorance and there is also, you know, plain homophobia, transphobia, and xenophobia, yeah. and that's that's a big issue. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think a lot of. Um, uh, Let's let's kind of reference uh, Canto del Colibri. So Canto del Colibri is a documentary that uh, Marco directed, and um, it is about that you edited that I edited, and is about fathers of uh, LGBT, transgender, queer, uh, basically parents, Latino fathers, and um, in this documentary, uh, Marco specifically wanted to show, uh, and I think did a great job of, of finding and talking to uh, fathers, Latino fathers who struggled with it, but who have eventually accepted, love their children, and who are choosing to become as educated about it as possible. And it seems to me from that documentary and those people and their experiences that the, one of the biggest issues basically is a lack of education. Because generally speaking, people love their children. Obviously, there are many exceptions, but generally speaking, people want to be supportive and love their children. Um, but when they don't know, there there is a complete like freak out. <laughs> you yeah. don't know how to deal with stuff, right? And even me, like, okay, yesterday we had a screening, right? And I referred to you as gay, and and then you you said, well, I like to say that I'm queer, right? Mm -hmm. And then I'm just, I, I mean. I, I'm just like, yeah, I don't have no fucking idea, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I worked on a documentary about this for a year, and I still, you know, I, I have, I'm not educated. And, and when you, certainly when I was growing up, and I'm older, you know, we're older, like, when you had sexual education in school, they didn't teach you about any of this stuff. Yeah. 
Are, do you know if, if any of that is taught now? I'm sure like in San Francisco it probably is, maybe. But in yeah. other, like how, I, I, and, then in the, and then in Texas and shit, it definitely is not. Yeah. Uh, uh, actually, San Francisco State, I mean, San, San, Unif uh, uh, Unified School District. The Unified School District of San Francisco has an amazing person, a good friend of mine who is in charge of the LGBT. Um, sort of like they have a, they have a, a, an arm of the school district and, and Eric does um, an amazing job. Um, comprehensive sexual education is not common and we fight in, as an HIV activist. I go to Washington DC every year because uh, we have to show up to educate our legislators um, on the issues that are important. And there is a conference called AIDS Watch and uh, uh, activists from all over the country descend in DC and we make basically teams and we go out to the hill and we talk to the people that are working for us, our legislators, our politicians, and we teach them and tell them why is it important for them to do certain things around HIV AIDS. Um, and one of them, one of those priorities uh, has been for a while, s comprehensive sex education, where they, um, don't teach young people um, what tools do they have and rather uh, so, so they can take care of themselves. Yeah. Um, abstinence doesn't work and, and, it, it, and it also, what we also talk about it is, in my opinion, the biggest, most difficult um, issue in regards to phobias and, and HIV AIDS is uh, is something that, that is called stigma. Stigma is this issue that everybody should learn what it is and how it affects you. Mental health issues, women's issues, domestic violence issues, you know, stigma, what it does is that it, it makes you, it immobilizes you. And, and it doesn't allow you to speak about it. And so you never take care of things. Because society has given you all these messages that are so powerful and heavy that stigma comes in and like really paralyzes you. And so, so going back to El Canto del Colibri, I will disagree slightly with you about about education being the the sort of like the reason. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's the full reason, but it certainly is a big part of it. Yeah, and it, and it certainly seems to be a big like. It's a good it it's a good way that they cope and they deal with it in terms of like because I think a lot of and again, I'm, I'm over generalizing here but men will be like like if they encounter a problem they say let me help find a solution right they don't want to just sit and and like talk let's say and like kind of like you know kind of like figure it out they want to like read a book and say what can I do here yeah <laughs> right but you know what I what I learned to about El Canto and and as I show it. You know, I've been working on a, this pilot program where I was working with Latino families before I made the film. Yeah. We also work with Somos Familia, this organization in the Bay Area that we did Tres Gotas de Agua for them, which is a short film, about 14 minutes, it's on YouTube. And these are three moms speaking. It's sort of like El Canto, yeah. you know? Um, but what I think, Jesus, that is the reason for people or for 
this idea that Latino immigrant men are by nature homophobic or transphobic uh, or machista, I think that that's just racism. It's plain racism. I think that in this country, people... Why are, do you say racism instead of like sexism or... or uh... Because who creates... There is a society that, that is right now in our country, um, there is a society that has most control. And those are white people, you know? And so, so, so they, they set the tone, right? Mm, of course, sexism is part. All of the isms is part. But in reality, um, who, who has, who has uh, hang on us all of these uh, stereotypes, all these like labels that, that are not really true? Mm, I know that there is issues of homophobia, transphobia, and machismo in our Latino community. But they are the same issues in every other community. I don't think that Latinos are less or more, you know, if you quantify sure. it. Yeah. So, so it's racist because... because You're saying it's racist to assume that Latinos are more oh, homophobic. It's absolutely racist to say that, yeah. that because I'm Latino, therefore I am homophobic. Got it, got it, got it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what we learn is that all of these people in the film, remember, it was going to be a short film, right? 15 minutes stops. How many times did we talk about? 19 minutes, maybe. The film ended up being 53 minutes, and I thought that it was, like, you know, a ch such a challenge to, like, you know, these folks that we interview for El Canto, they, they, they prove to us that, that we're just like everybody else. Yeah. 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 No, that's true. And, and yesterday when, when you showed the... Uh, when we, we showed the screening or we showed Canto and there was a gentleman from uh, the UK and he said he grew up in a farm town or something like that. And, and he said that he didn't know how much he was going to relate to the film or identify with it because he was this guy, you know, he was gay, but when he saw it, he recognized his father in many of these men. And um, so, yeah, whether you want to, machismo is certainly tied to, uh, Latino culture, but it in essence is more of a, a masculine, uh, that a masculine trend that is general across cultures. Right? Yeah, and it was brought to us by Europeans, so it's not native of Latin America, let alone our Aztec folks, which take a lot of people. Aztecs, Aztecs, <laughs> Aztec <laughs> people Aztecs were like, mm. was was. Oh, they they will they will cut your head and your head will like drop. Right, but how were, the were they accepting of the of, of uh, queer and gay? Do you know? I've never read anything about that. I, I don't think that Aster, uh, Aster <laughs> I don't think that Aztecs are well known f for their love of queerness, but there are very many ethnias in all over the world that they actually we're talking about gender that they celebrate gender that yeah. that um in the Istmo of Tehuantepec. In Mexico, um, the Mushes, which is a group of Mushes, are basically uh, individuals that um, that I, I I don't like to use the word transgender because it will be like Westernize their sure. ancestry and and their work, but they're in the middle. They're you know? fluid in some way. In Hawaii, there are people. There is a beautiful, beautiful documentary um, that that is called. Kumuhina, and it's about this amazing woman that she's also in the middle. And they did a short film afterwards, I'm doing commercials for my friends, 
no, it's, it's a really amazing film. It's called, um, it's called uh, something in the middle. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, it's it, Kumuhina is a teacher, a Hawaiian teacher that has this student that wants to be part of this beautiful ensemble of dance and sing in in Hawaii, and she, you know she, she's not a man, um, but because of her awareness um this woman um let her in and she ends up being the leader hmm. i don't want to say the, the thing you don't want but, to spoil it <laughs> but uh, i'm gonna think about the name as we do the as we continue talking because it's a short film that is really beautiful um and um and the, i actually i, I curated a, a program for the latino um, the Latino Pride Festival in Portland, mm-hmm. and I included uh, that that film. I see that I can't I remember. That you can't remember the name. <laughs> All right, let's take a step back. So, when you got to Oakland, um, what were you doing? Where were you working? What were you doing? Uh, like, what was um, your your first gig? Like, yeah. Well, you know, Selena Quintanilla, the singer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so Selena Quintanilla is very meaningful. It has a lot of value in my life because when I first came to Orinda, I went to get a haircut at this place. It's called Hair 2000 on Orinda Way. Uh, and uh, Quick plug for uh, Hair 2000 here. <laughs> and um, the, the owner or co-owner, his name is Carlos Soto, or as he will say, Soto. Um <laughs> He, uh, he and I became good friends, and he's one of my angels. And um, he gave me a job there. He, he gave me a job because I was going to Diablo Valley College studying everything but English. Because my idea was, if I go to the US, I don't have to study freaking grammar. I can just study things, and I will learn how to speak English. And so I was studying everything but English, and, um, and I worked with Ca- Carlos and with Leonard Hernandez. Carlos Soto and Leonard Hernandez, and um, Lenny. Let's Lenny. call him Lenny. And, and so they they hire me. I didn't know how to speak a word in English. I used to wash these people's hair, and I used to um, sweep. sweep the floor. And sometimes they were some racist people coming into the shop. Was it like kind of like the place where like trophy wives, white ladies would come in and get their haircuts, or was it just a mix? It was a mix. It was a mix. Oh, okay. But we'll have some people. Um, I was very surprised to see that a lot of Latino folks will be, well, I don't consider them racist, but that's a big thing. I consider them prejudiced. Um, but, but so they will, they will ask me questions about me, you know, the typical immigrant, uh, things that will traumatize me actually. But I, I had the upper hand when I was washing their hair their hair and from time to time I would just splash them you know <laughs> and they would just make a big deal and they would like talk to my friend Carlos and my friend Carlos always like defended me that's why I love him so much uh, because I, he said que te estaba diciendo la vieja and I would just you know and uh, and he I hope that he sees this podcast this podcast because he's someone that I love so much and I'm so grateful for him and him in my life. Anyways, I will just, and then at the end of the shop, when we finish, we will like close the shop 
it was a glass door and we will like blast Selena all the way and we will just dance and sing and clean the freaking shop. Yeah. So great. That, that was, was right my... around when she got Yeah. And she was murdered. It was after she got killed. So it was right after. Yeah, because mm-hmm. that was like ninety four, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And somehow I didn't know of Selena as much when I was in Mexico. Yeah. Is that with Tejana? Well, I went to high school in Texas, you know, I grew up in Texas and oh. it was like a tragedy, you know. Of course it was a tragedy. I mean, it was a tragedy everywhere, I suppose, but um, certainly there it was a big deal. And it was uh, esta noche, just like Pulse in Orlando, San Francisco, we had esta noche, which is this place where like everybody that was Latino and queer could come. And for once, you know, listen to Selena. We, we had a great drag queens back in the day. Mm, and I said drag queens because I didn't know, you know, that that's who they are. They're performers mm-hmm. from San Jose. There were some people from San Jose. Mm, they used to do Rocio Durcal, um, Selena, of course. Right. Um, so beautiful because um, that doesn't exist in San Francisco. I used to live nearby uh, Esta Noche, and now is this uh, hipster something. Um, and Paul's, you know. In Orlando is one of those places where people that were genderqueer or transgender or or gay or queer could come once a week to be themselves and so we're showing El Canto in Orlando this coming Wednesday and I'm very proud to work with this organization that is called Q Latinx that was created after the the massacre Mm, people go to these places especially queer people of color because there is not a lot of them yeah. and that's where young people could feel for once normal yeah and for somebody to come and shoot people indiscriminately i don't know a lot of the details of of orlando because i struggle mm, with violence and i do know that a lot of people that were going to that place had not talked to their parents about who they were on regards to gender identity or, or sexual orientation. But um, I took you to another place. Mm, but yeah. No, that, that's, that's a good... Um, it brings up a lot of stuff that I think is interesting and that I think is important to maybe talk about that our audience could uh, benefit from hearing some insight to. And, you know, you talk about um, a place like Pulse, or uh, what was the place called that you went to? Esta Noche. We used to call her Esta Nasty. <laughs> Esta Nasty. But it was a great place. So that was kind of a specifically Latino queer uh, club, right? Yeah. Bar. Yeah. And, and you don't, I'd never really thought about that a whole lot, that there were even, you know, kind of like the subculture, right? Or like there's the queer club, there's the gay clubs, but then there's the queer Latino place and whatnot. And um, I have a friend who's African-American and um, we worked on a project together and and now I don't keep in touch with him a lot. I'm not great friends, but I follow him on social media and he posts a lot about this stuff. And um, and he he frequently talks about, um, because he's gay and he talks about the fetishes, I'm fucking this word up, fetishization mm-hmm. of being a black queer. Yeah. And you know, when he goes to a, a general club 
and is approached by white guys and who are just extremely overt about you know wanting black dick or he he you know he puts quotes yeah. he's like this motherfucker just said this to me and like it's crazy mm-hmm. it's crazy like is there kind of um is there like some more like overt behavior like that within the general community like against minorities against the, I mean, it, it sounds like there is yeah i don't like the term minority because okay. we're not a minority but but um and people it also it, it, people uh, people of color because he also minority is not positive and sure. um but but i uh there is a lot a lot of racism i live in los angeles mm, i think that i've gone to west hollywood twice since i moved to la it's hard to be in a place where your music is not being played um and if if it's being played somebody's wearing a sombrero that we in mexico haven't wear in ages and they say things that we don't say um a caricature yeah. really um that's why i was telling you about about why el canto is important because yeah. el canto is an honest representation of our community and not this freaking Hollywood cartoon that 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 shows mm, a caricature, sure. you know. Um, online is where a lot of people also relate now uh, on regards to sex or to partners or, and it's also yeah. There is when people say to me when white people say to me that I'm exotic, I say, well, you're exotic to me too, but they don't. Uh, they're privileged. It's not acknowledged when they're using that terminology because because there is not that they no but a lot of white people don't make that equation when they when they speak um, and you know they need to do that um, white folks need to stop being so freaking mm, um, the, the word is guilty. Because w- when we're talk when we're talking about racism, when Black Lives Matter is right there in front of you, and people are like, "Well, all lives matter," like, "Yeah, but Black Lives Matter because Black people are dying, because Black people are going to fucking jail, because Black," you know what I mean? That's why it exists. It's not because we decided, or <laughs> my friend Alicia, or somebody else. Um, and and in racism, some of us like myself have done work that we are just not going to whack I mean I am not going to whack a black I mean uh, I'm not going to whack and hold the hand of a white man to go through this journey of like freaking you know what I mean because because I want for them to do the work and and thing that is important here is that we're not talking about anybody in particular White people need to understand that when we talk about racism, we're just talking about a system of oppression that is being there, you know, that that benefits them just because benefits them because it benefits them because of the color of their skin. But nobody's saying anything personally about yeah. that person. And so this guilt and this fight back and this resistance, it, is, it needs to stop because what it's doing is creating more problems, more hate. Yeah. And people can... Why is it so difficult for you to uh, acknowledge your privilege? You know, check your privilege, acknowledge your privilege, and and 
and be a true ally. Black people, transgender people, they need true allyship. And true allyship is not sending messages of passive aggressiveness online or talking to people about, well, what about, I've done so much work on like, you know, violence. Like, we're not talking about violence. We're talking about race, you know? Yeah, I, I get the sense that, I mean, a lot of, um, and this is pure speculation and, you know, kind of trying to read <laughs> the entire society, but you get the sense that a lot of the uh, white males, um, there's a loss of power. They feel like there's a loss of power right now in terms of, like, economic, you know, especially amongst uh, uh, middle class and lower income people. Um, at you know, back in the day, at least they still had some jobs, manufacturing and this sort of thing. And uh, but they they are the ones who have done that. Poor people, people of color, have not created that. They went to many many countries, and decimated societies. Right, right. But let's talk about the present, and like let's talk about like just just people like literally today, like people who are like rod rod trump or whatever right mm. and they're angry because they can't find a job yeah and maybe they have uh, or maybe they do have jobs but let's say um, i know somebody for example who has a, a child who's an undergraduate at ucla mm -hmm. and uh she worked really hard to go there and uh these, these it's a white family very nice family whatever um and um had some roommates or some dorm mates of color who uh, didn't work so hard in college and kind of skated by and then there was a little bit of resentment like I worked really hard to get here and I worked really hard mm -hmm. and you know these people got in because of the color of their skin or whatever right so I feel like there's like some people who feel like they're there that the, the, the people of color have benefited from things like affirmative action for example um, and I feel like people are getting a pass because of yeah. their color. And who are they to be policing other people's, um, you know? I, I, this is the thing, though. I don't care about that. I just don't care. I don't care because if we're going to quantify on justice, yeah. they need to shut up. Uh, honestly. Mm. Why is it that white people feel the entitlement to police my access into society sure. why they don't mm, uh, quantify i'm getting upset here i'm getting like too uh because <laughs> this is good though this because is that's, that's a great argument like because, why, why do they fucking care like well it, i mean it, it's it's good if and and about the person with the bad hair i cannot even spend a minute of my time talking about it's just ridiculous i i'm the, the thing, the argument about race in this country is that um, the entitlement of people that, that have the most privilege, uh, at the moment that they see a couple of other people having privilege and they may be doing something not so whatever, uh, that's, a, that, that's a red light. Well, you know, like, what about Palestine? Isn't there a, a red light? Um, or, or the number of transgender women of color that have been killing this country, I think that so far this year, I don't know, I, I remember like at the end of January, there were almost 40 women, transgender women of color that were killed. Um, the, 
this video that was online a few weeks ago about this person in Arizona who got shot and killed in his truck. Mm, what's his name? I tried to, I tried to not really. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, th there is so much. Th there is so much out there in society right now that is showing this huge um, unbalance. You know, the people that are, you were saying that people are afraid because they're losing power and um, uh, wealth, right? But there is enough wealth so everybody in this world could just have their basic needs met. And we don't do that. What about the millions and millions of people that today don't have food in their table, that they don't have health care? And we have the resources for that to take place. So for me, that is incredibly ridiculous and mm, it makes me very sad that people are afraid to lose part of their wealth sure. where do they really need it, you know? And what about the ones that don't have anything? Yeah. Yeah. I just think that that's, again. Yeah, it's, it, is, it is a... Um, a kind of ridiculous argument it's almost an argument of privilege like you're saying like you're yeah. you're bitching over this much more when your baseline is already so much higher um, but but I think psychologically like that's kind of where it comes from and it's greed and it's you know uh, you don't want your uh, your your social and economic class to drop um, but I think I, I do think though that there is a um, it's just that the, the field is not even. So how are you going... If the, if the play field... It's called a play field, right? Sure. It's yeah. not even. Mm, the arguments... How are the arguments going to be? You know? Yeah. In, in the queer world, in the LGBT movement, we have seen over and over again that the benefits that people have gained or the rights that people have gained, they trickle down, right? Where like gay white, gay white male are in the top of that. They receive, you know, like they receive the benefits first and it's okay for them to other people later. And when somebody like Janicet Gutierrez goes into the White House and screams to the president that she's tired because her sisters in the detention center are being treated like crap, the rest of the people in that audience boo Janiset, right? And um, it was so telling of our society. That was the picture of our society. This woman, who is a transgender woman, goes into the White House to a whatever LGBT, you know, soiree, yeah, as they call it. Yeah. Um, and she happens to like take the curse to say, you know, President, I'm just upset. I'm sick and tired of, you know, the injustices that goes against my sisters. And the people are like, they even like boo her back. And they and she obviously was whisked away of the White House. Well, Jenny said, you know, Jenny said took a show us basically. She, can you imagine like? 
all, all of the things that you need to like gain the courage to say that oh yeah this is fucking huge right? yeah that's fucking crazy and on top of that see all of your community your brothers and sisters you know your movement like turning the back on you well, that's fucked up and everybody there should just send it Jenny said a letter of apology every single person in that room should sit, sit down right now and, and write her a letter of an apology because you know like it's incredible how at the moment that you receive something that you've been fighting for so long, but then there is a ton of people out there that they haven't because the realities of other people are not marriage equality or their priorities may not be that. They need healthcare or housing. Mm -hmm. um, we forget about what it feels, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, um, oh man, talking about Obama and shitting on Obama. It's such a, it's such a fucking like, um, just kind of a depressing like. You you have to really compartmentalize politicians these days, I think, because you feel like there's been some progress made. I feel like there's been progress made, and generally speaking, mm -hmm. I, I look at Obama and I look at his record and I like hear him talk, and I'm like, I'm really proud that this is our president. But then obviously you look at like the record of deportations and on this shit, and you're like. Uh, you know, it, it, I feel like we live in, um, I think, I, I don't know, I, I don't generally feel like maybe he's like evil. I feel like he works within a political system where he has to make extreme compromises. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I think that Obama represents a lot for a lot of people. Yeah. And I'm very grateful for him, you know? I'm sure that he's a good, good-hearted person. Yeah. That him himself was the target of freaking racism. Yeah. You know, when have you heard that, that, that uh, to a president who is delivering a state of the movement, a state of, state of the union, the union uh, somebody choose to like, yeah. like a white racist man that it was, I don't even know who it was, but I'm sure that it's racist. Because no, nothing else can like lift you up from the, you know, like the president of the United States, uh, who has so much protocol and that control, control everything. I mean, um, what what happened? I forget. Like he like he he he's probably from a southern state. Not that I want to, yeah, sure. you know, um, southern people are amazing, um, but but he's he he yelled at him yeah. he yelled back to the president on something that he said and for me it was like wow um if that's what we see on tv can you imagine what that president have gone through in just life, in yeah, real life back doors yeah, yeah so like you i i have um i understand of the significance of um, president obama and his journey in in politics i, I don't like politics i think it's a circus and and I think that it's a circus that we know it's a circus and yet we participate. Well, I only I only witnessed that circus a couple of times, a couple, yeah. And I decided, you know, I do well and much better if I'm in the ground working with the people that really need, you know, that we need that we need to work hand in hand and that they're not these people that needs us. No, uh, people that are uh, marginalized and that don't have the same privilege that some of us may have, they're not, they're not victims. 
there are targets which is different sure. and yeah. and if you work with them they're pretty amazing and li like in El Canto the transform the power of transform transformation that we saw mm, that these parents tell us that they went through and with the life that they had in Mexico and how they came to this country it's really remarkable so I believe that people I believe in people, you know, Jesus, and I always love to be able to, like, do something with them, but not to do something for them because they don't need me. Sure. You know? Yeah, yeah. What, um, with regards to your, to the, the education work you do and, and within the community, like, it seems like a lot of the work, um, that you do is, is specifically dealing with these people in these communities, but who... Have you ever worked on on something or a project, or are there people working on something that's targeted at the general population? So just regular males, like to educate them, because I, like, okay, I'll give you like an example. We, we talked earlier about the word puto, right? Mm -hmm. And other words like this that are very common, you know, in we Espanol, in Espanol mm -hmm. maricón. But but actually, like in some ways, I I have no way to prove this or whatever. But I feel even like in Mexican American culture. It gets it, it. It's even like not taken to another level, but it's very like like George Lopez, the comedian. What's up, puto? You know, <laughs> and it's like funny, and th these words become like because because you you you're almost like making fun of like your parents, but you're actually kind of believing it and like that sort of thing. So a lot of these things I think are carried forward. Well, how come they don't say what's up, puta, to a woman? I don't know. How come that's not funny? Yeah. 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 It's just that we have normalized um, homophobic, um, you know, we have normalized and we don't, you know, the people that complain about those terms are so little or are so few yeah, yeah. that we don't give a shit. Yeah. And so we're going to question them. We're going to fight back because we can we triple their number and um and so we just you know like uh, <laughs> those guys complaining about the word puto are just making our life difficult because now we cannot even express ourselves well fuck you you know i mean it's it's hard to sometimes you believe you the queer person start believe that you need to be compassionate with those folks, you know, with George Lopez or whomever. Yeah. Mm, because poor them, you know, you broke their homophobic life. <laughs> so, mm, you know, like, let me just be nice to whomever. Yeah. Mm. We, we had an incident uh, with, our, with this madre where um, I, we posted something and, and that word went out on a post on a, on a caption, like, what's mm. up, putos, or something like that. And uh, my cousin, who's gay, saw the post, mm. and he said, you know, I, he, I can't remember exactly what he said, but, and I actually defended, like, the use of the word, and I, and, and I had to, like, you know, I was like, but I definitely am whore, and then I was like, what does this mean, you know, and, and like, he, like, Sammy and I talked about it, and we tried, like, we're like, well, you know, we certainly didn't mean it, like, fag, and I'm like, well, it, it's not know? about what you mean, it's about what you say. How it's how it's 
it it's about how people like receive it. It's not what yeah exactly right yeah, and that's not how you how we're thinking about it right. And you, you just you're trying to be stupid or you're trying to be funny or whatever, and you're trying to use these little you know yeah because our community hasn't been relevant enough and hasn't had the weight for you to really think that we may be hurt right. that that maybe you know that maybe your son that hasn't tell you may be hurt yeah. or you're causing you know like uh, queer people are everywhere um a lot of us are not out even nowadays you know coming out is a difficult thing and um and coming out is a difficult thing because society is horrible, plain and simple. Um, so I commend everybody that has the courage to yeah. to come out and um, and to be open about it because people may think that I, I often hear people saying, "But you know, gay people don't have any problems." Mm, you know, is this an act up thing or didn't act up uh, act up? You know, like fighting for. Um, good people have a hard time, you know, and, um, and, and again, we also learn how to live with shit in your life to a point that you just accept everything. And a lot of people I remember, I'm criticized often that I am negative, that I'm too passionate. You know, the typical thing that they say about Latino, quote unquote, too passionate. No, I'm not too passionate. I'm sick and tired. Like... I don't, I just don't think that it's right that, that, you know, that, that I don't get the chance today to do and say what I want and to live my life how I want because I'm constantly being reminded that I'm, that it's not okay to be who I am. And when you think about children, you know, about people that don't have what you were saying, the education, and it just breaks my heart. And there are moments where you sometimes you lose hope. Yeah, yeah. Do you, are you hopeful though? Because it, it does seem to me that younger kids in the U.S. are being exposed to this stuff more, and they're kind of learning about these issues. Young, you know, and with, uh, certainly amongst themselves, seemingly like are becoming more okay with these issues or mm -hmm. with this this um, you know this aspect of life really. Just like uh, Santiago in the documentary, his son uh, Samuel. Well, oh, Samuel. Samuel. Yeah. Samuel was the the youngest son who was like, I know he's gay, and I don't have a problem with that, you know. And so I think kids are learning about stuff younger, mostly through popular cultures, from what what I gather, because they're not learning it. Like there seems to be still issues with like like you were saying earlier with sexual health education in schools. Like certainly in certain parts of the country, they don't even touch this shit. Yeah. But I would think that like kids on TV and. Um, you know, through social media and stuff, are learning about this. I think that uh, there is some progress because um, also young people are being um, exposed to these things. So, so, so when 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 folks that are very conservative they claim about aren't they too young to learn about being gay? Well, aren't they? They were not too young to learn about being not gay. So. Um, so so how come that's different? Yeah. But anyways, um, but I, I want to make the distinction, though, that two things. I worry about the world in general and not only about the U.S. because we're not it. And 
and and in the world there is a lot of work that needs to be done and more and more i connect with latin america and my work with hiv i just came back from mexico where we did incredible work of solidarity with the, the people of mexico can i ask a quick question yes. where is the worst place in the world to be homosexual and where is the best place well i, I know that's a tough question but but is there, you know, mm-hmm. if you had to... It's just that I haven't been around the world. I wish that I could say that. <laughs> uh, the Caribbean is horrible, really? to be honest. Um, it's not very accepting. But I would say, you know, Russia is not a good place because there is, like, violence perpetrated against people that are queer. There's straight-up anti-gay, hom- like, legislation at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In Africa, there is places where if people suspect that you're HIV positive they can put you in jail if you have a suspicion um, but yeah I don't know if I can answer that question I'm but just curious because it, it, so, I've heard these extremes right and, and yeah. I would think that in terms of like a, the safest country it might sure be some they, Western European yeah. like Scandinavian country or something like Probably. that I don't know I'm just Fucking thinking out loud here, but, but then again, in in, in Europe, uh, um, racism is like really flourishing. So yeah, so if you're a straight white, or yeah, yeah, yeah then it's great. But it, yeah, it's good to think of intersectionality. You know, if if people are not familiar with that word, um, you know, the intersectionality is basically a, a way to see issues that are that 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 are complex because they are one on top of each other or they yeah. cross um i was saying yesterday that for me people should really if they want to talk about gender identity and about sexual orientation which are also two complete different things um they need to include an analysis of race and class into that if not they are doing a disservice to whomever mm. because race and class not only in this country, in the world, really impacts mm, your life and how you live your life. Um, So I think that there is no longer this idea that, you know, we're going to talk about sexuality um, because we need to start seeing this issue more cultural, more from a society point of view or societal point of view economics you know um hiv aids is not a clinical or sexual issue only it's an economic issue it's a social issue it's a cultural issue and my work is infused by intersectionality and analysis uh, framework sorry and my work is also infused by culture and i believe that culture for us latinos um help us celebrate help us look at something from um, mm, yeah uh, in the US sometimes people use culture against us they use our own culture against us um, to oppress us and they tell us that oh you're Latino therefore ta 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 right and you're like no really it's not the truth I'm Latino therefore I'm Latino Period. Um, we, I think that in this country, people should have more of a gen- genuine curiosity of how their people are and engage uh, 
rather than to take this peel <laughs> of stereotypes yeah. and and live their life in that way because they because they're amazing up look this morning i walk in i went to the cleaners and i saw this greek restaurant next door i was really hungry and when you're really hungry you want to eat something that you know is good right um like you know, what was con chorizo or something like that. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> but I was also tired and, and I saw this place there um, and I'm like, I'm just gonna take, I'm gonna take a leap of faith. <laughs> and, and I went in there and, you know, like I ordered this amazing meal. I love it. And I had a Mexican Coca-Cola with ice, which is like heaven. <laughs> so we need to engage more with people and in that way we can make our own judgments about and we also need to stop looking at this world from a good and bad perspective and more of a human perspective because i don't think that people are bad or good by nature i just think that they do bad and good actions but they're just people yeah yeah what um are we very philosophical is that where we're getting maybe that's where we're going i was gonna take it I was actually going to take it a little more practical because I think we're we're getting close to the end here, and and I would like I would like to to. Uh, I never answered your question though. You were talking about this. Mm, is there anything for men or for or, or just for like yeah that and and that's kind of where I was going to go here is like you know are there resources for people because I, I the other thing I would say is that like so I grew up in Texas, which is a completely different space than here. It's another the, world. It's another world than the Bay Area, yeah. right? <laughs> and you know when I got here you know I actually was very Christian I was I used to go to a Baptist church I got baptized when I was in high school all this shit I, I, that's a whole other fucking podcast um, that's right. <laughs> yeah. a couple of them yeah yeah um, and so yeah I thought a lot of this shit was really bad and then like you know um, I had people in my hallway who were from the Bay Area and who were extremely open and like there was like a lesbian and all this stuff and I was like what the fuck like she knows all this crazy shit and like you know not like I didn't know anything about sex but certainly about being being very open about it was very different to me mm-hmm. um, so I feel like culturally now when you have like the internet and and somebody in Texas can just go online and learn about this stuff like what are some resources for people who maybe don't live in a place like San Francisco who didn't go to the San Francisco Unified School District yeah um, well first they need to do some work I mean, gay people are not in charge of educating all these straight folks. Right. Right? Second, they need to, like, really... Mm, if you really I'm, I'm saying, like, no, like, somebody who's, like, certainly, like, well... But go ahead, go ahead. There is a place, there is... Uh, there is this idea of um, networks. Like, I created a network of Latino immigrant people living with HIV... It's called Venas Abiertas. There is few of us because we don't want to mm, deal with HIV AIDS through a clinical lens always or a sexual. Because that's the problem though, Jesus. His, people think that queer people or gay people, we're all about sex. You You're know? not? <laughs> I mean... God damn it. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, but they think literally that we have yeah. sex nonstop. And, and, and that, that's all what we, when a person that is, that is uh, straight, let's say in your office, let's say that we have offices, and 
you know she's pregnant so people mm, treat her like this almost it becomes like a cloud right yeah, yeah, yeah. um and and so everybody's like oh that's so sweet you know like oh is it a baby but uh, she I was mean, fucking <laughs> she's a dirty bitch who was fucking and got I mean, pregnant you know you, you said it but but when when t- when two when two gay men let's say or two queer yeah. men are talking about going to the movies mm, well you know you can be whatever you want to be but don't bring that thing to my house which thing like which thing i i just was talking about me and my boyfriend holding hands in the park why is it that we cannot have a romantic loving life just like all of you why does it everything has to land in sex i mean god knows sometimes you go high and dry without sex for a long time <laughs> just like everybody else right sure. but but the, so i think that there is a a compadre network um, that I should know more because I I was supposed to have a, a meeting with them. Mm, the California Endowment has done great work yeah. with uh, healthy communities, and you know they gave us some money to finish the film. They've never seen the film. I've invited them like eighty-five times, and <laughs> mm, I don't know you when. You said it was the compadre network. Yeah, there's something like the compadre network or the compadre something. Uh, I should have that information, right? I should just... But well, I, feel- yeah, I mean, that's important. But also, like, I'm curious about, like, you know, somebody who's not gay, who just wants to learn about these issues. Because you talk, you know, you use the word, like, cisgender and all these things. And, like, most people don't even know what the fuck all that means. You don't know that shit unless you're, you're interested. The, the things are accessible online, though. And, and I don't want to assume that everybody has access to online. But that's why I'm saying connect with people and don't see other realities as a um a, a, as a theory like engaging practice which means you know like go and hang out with the, with folks that are not like you make friends make conversations and and little by little all these ideas because we also are very segregated in yeah. this country and so go to a greek restaurant I mean, order French fries with salad, <laughs> with a skewer, with chicken and a Mexican Coca-Cola. Are you saying people should go to gay bars? People should go to a gay bar and if somebody like touches your ass, just deal with it. Don't <laughs> just deal with it. Don't like make a big deal of it because, you know, once again, like it's, it's hard to... Um, we're like we're in the losing end because you know like oh i went to a gay bar but somebody tried to touch me well it's a gay bar and it's pretty packed i'm sure that why is it that (laughs) and i also want to say something like i don't want to fuck with straight people i don't i don't i don't you know like i don't want to fuck you i just want to be myself and sort of like and it's not all about sex once again it's about being human and about being and also i will have to say that that my identity as a queer man an immigrant and living with hiv and all of that you know like being an immigrant is really a very strong piece of who i am and uh and a lot of the time hiv or being queer overtakes something that 
you know, like queer people are gaining some, little by little, some, some, some rights in this country. But immigrants that are undocumented, there is a ton of them, yeah. you know? There is 13 million people that are living in this country that are immigrants. About 54% of them are undocumented. 30 plus or 20 plus of us have documents. Um, so that is a lot of people. Uh, and, and I think that, um, I think that it, I get upset because, because a lot of people go through a lot of things that are, that no one that is not that is documented could even imagine what he feels like having your mom dying and not going to their funeral your son being sick for months and not being able to see them just going back to eat something that you really love in your tiny little town you know that simple thing people here transgender women are put into this place that is called withholding of removal it's almost like the la dimension desconocida i call it right because transgender women are are set into this immigrant status that doesn't have an end doesn't have an a, a way out so there they are like just being withholding of removal which is before they kick you out but they don't kick them out but they don't give them the rights it's not fair all of those things are not fair and i and i feel like um Immigrant people in this country that are undocumented, they are people like everybody else. They are people that are, you know, that I said, may do, may, may do good things or bad things, but ultimately they are just like you and like me. And, and they deserve to have the same rights that, that some of you have. I'm a, I'm a resident, so I don't even have those rights. Um, and, and they don't came here because they want to take anybody's job. They came here because this country has decimated their society. Uh, capitalism has done that, and this country is a big proponent of that. And so we went and fucked up their realities. And in, in Europe, it's been packed with folks from other countries because Europe went and like, screwed up their, their homes. So don't be surprised that people end up knocking at your door, or like I did, just crossing on your door because you know because i think that n that there is a lot of reasons why we leave our countries yeah. and and uh, very few of us leave our countries you know dancing a juan gabriel song <laughs> i think that's a really uh, great place to end <laughs> with, with <a> noah noah <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, really appreciate you coming by. Um, if somebody wanted to uh, follow you, like on Twitter or uh, social media, where should they go and where can they learn more about the work you're doing? Well, elcantodelcolibri.com is a website, and they can send us a mes message to, through that website, elcantodelcolibri.com. We'll put that link up too. So, And then also I'm at Twitter at, at Bojorquez. B-O-J-O-R-Q-U-E-Z, Bojorquez. In Spanish, has an accent um, on the E, so it's Bojorquez. 
Um, and then in Facebook, if you just put Albojorquez and also in Instagram, Albojorquez will come up. Um, yeah, and just so people know, I think um, Marco is doing a lot of advocacy and is available for training and that sort of consulting work. We were talking about this yesterday. So if anybody out there is uh, looking for this sort of stuff, either for an organization, uh, for a group, or a nonprofit, or whatever, uh, Marco has been doing this for many years. He's basically an expert in this stuff. And he's available, so please look for uh, and reach out for him on social media. Yeah, we don't sugarcoat shit, though. <laughs> we don't we don't sugarcoat. Yeah. And then, um, if you got if if people want to do a screen of the film yeah. in their schools, or if they wanted to, uh, it's on Vimeo as well. If, if for personal. Yeah, if if you want to watch Canto del Colibri at home, uh, just go to Vimeo and search Canto del Colibri. You will find it there. Um, it's available for purchase uh, for three ninety nine, I believe. You can watch it in the uh, comfort of your home in HD um, and see our work. I, I hadn't watched it in a year and, until yesterday because it's been a year since we finished it. And uh, I'm proud to say that it holds up. And yes. I was worried that I was just like, oh, man, I haven't seen this in a while. I don't know how I'm going to feel about it. But it's still very moving. And it is a film that brought me to tears as I was working on it many times just because the stories really are amazing. And I think... Um, if you do happen to be, um, you know, have a Mexican father or a Latino father, you will definitely see somebody in this film that you know. You, you did an incredible work editing that film, and um, I will always be grateful with you, Jesus. Thanks, Marco. Um, so, yeah, check out the film, guys. Thank you for joining us uh, on this podcast. Uh, please share with friends and family. And please subscribe to the podcast, uh, either on iTunes or YouTube. Thank you, guys, and see you on the next one. Thanks, Michael. All right, we're done, guys. Thank you so much for listening or watching this entire podcast with Marco Castro-Borges. Um, before wrapping up, I wanted to add a few notes regarding this week's subject matter. Uh, first of all, when Marco and I were talking about the first transgender asylum case, I misgendered her. I basically continued to refer to her as a him, and Marco wishes to apologize for misgendering her during this interview. I guess he didn't correct me, um, and I think it was just natural. We were just having a conversation. We didn't catch it. Um, I want to apologize for this as well. I'm not even sure I ever heard the term misgender in my entire fucking life. I'm a moron. I apologize. See, we're all learning here. That's the great thing about this. Uh, second, we want to bring up a few resources for people who want to learn more about these issues. Or maybe you're dealing with the issues yourself. Maybe a friend, a family member needs some help or something. Um, or you could support one of these organizations as well. That'd be really dope. First of all, uh, Somos Familia. Somos Familia is a group that supports Latino families with children who are LGBTQ and conducts education to create family and community acceptance. The group was actually started by two mothers to support other families with similar experiences. And Marco has been a member of their advisory board for many years, and they actually supported the making of El Canto de Colibri, as well as a, another documentary that Marco worked on beforehand. Uh, Somos Familia is based in the Bay Area, but they've done national work in the past, and they can be found at somosfamiliabay.org. The second group we'd like to point you to is De Colores Queer OC. De Colores Queer OC is a grassroots volunteer-run Latina, Latino, LGBTQ plus community organization. 
They create safe spaces for social engagement, community visibility, and political activism by organizing cultural events through their family acceptance group, La Familia. They also do civic actions and an annual community conference. They're one of the strongest and most valuable intergenerational organizations in the nation. La Familia is a, it's a parents group that meets weekly, and they can be found online at decoloresqueeroc.org. So yeah, Somos Familia and Decolores La Familia are great examples of true grassroots Latinx LGBT family acceptance community empowerment groups. Outside of these two groups, Lambda Legal and Familia Trans Queer Liberation Movement are both national organizations with significant work uh, with Latino, Latina LGBTQ issues and family acceptance. And they're going to continue collaborating with people of color organizations to further the work around family and LGBT acceptance, advocacy, and public health. Um, the Family Acceptance Project is a research innovation, education, and policy initiative that works to prevent health and mental health risks for LGBT children and youth, including suicide, homelessness, and HIV in the context of their families, cultures, and faith communities. Marco actually has collaborated with Dr. Caitlin Ryan on that project, who's been working on that for over 20 years. It's critical work because there's little or no research around family acceptance and even less about parents of LGBT children, LGBT children especially in people of color communities. So that's it, folks. Hope this has been useful. Uh, please check out thismadre.com forward slash podcast for direct links to all of these groups. Uh, we'll also list all of these things in our YouTube page for this. Thanks, guys.